heard Colonel West, retired, who lives in, he actually lives in Garland, not, not too far from here. And actually, I say heard, I actually read a post by him. And I want to use a phrase in his post as the title of this sermon. He's, he mentioned in his post, referring to Memorial Day, and here's, here's the phrase, giving the last full measure of devotion. Giving the last full measure of devotion. And that's what I want to talk about today. As we go through this message today, I pray the Lord's blessing on what I will say today. And this is not necessarily a, a memorial sermon, even though it is in a sense. It's not a patriotic is the word I was going to use. It's not necessarily a, a nationally patriotic, but it is a spiritually patriotic. It is a truth from the Word of God. So here we are on this Memorial Day 2021. You know, and as I've said, our, our nation, we remember those who've, who've laid down their lives willingly, storming, storming beaches, and it's amazing how when you read the, really the history of, of how during, especially World War II, how this America rallied together. You know, America could do anything they want to do if they're right with God, serving God. Our nation was so patriotic. It was pretty much a majority church-going nation. Not everyone. No one's ever gone. No, not everyone. Is, but we were a majority people, Christians, and we're losing a lot of that. But, but the truth is, and you know this, that our freedoms that we enjoy as a nation have come to at a high price. And it's the high price of, of men giving their lives and, sh and, and shedding their blood on places all over this world. You know, we've never had a war on this United States. It's always been at other places. And I, I pray that we'll never have to see that. Of course, the, the Civil War, but that was us fussing. That was us fighting one another. But as far as a, an enemy, an enemy has never been able to come to this land. You say, well, that's because of this. That's because of that. No, my friend, that's because of the mercies of God. Does anyone here know someone that gave their life, that died in war? Anyone? Can you, who, who, J.R.? Do you, what's her names? Nathan Adams. Nathan Adams. Tim Hartman. Tim Hartman. Where, where, did, uh, where did he serve? Do you know where he died? Vietnam. Vietnam. Anyone else? Died in World War II. Do you know where? Didn't know him. Didn't know where did he? Where did he serve? Was in in? Do you know? Is it army? Do you know what where he died? What what name? In Belgium. Mm. Somebody else over here. Did I see another hand. Someone who died. I've known those that have served uh, greatly and been in war, great war. But I've never personally known someone who has died in war. We honor them today. We honor their. Their memory. We're, you know, we're getting to do what we're doing today because of these guys. You know, and a lot of the, you know, they, these moms and dads sent their teenagers and sent their young men off to war, and they never came home again. You know, they never came back to get married and to start careers and to to do the things that I'm sure were in every teenager's heart. And and that's a serious thing. We need to think about that today before, you know, we 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 start hating America. We need to realize. 
Well, a lot of these folks that hate America don't even know what America's about. They don't even know, they don't even know a history lesson of, 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 of a kindergarten level. We need to get back to civics, and we need to get back to knowing our history. So, But the fact is that great nations have come and gone based on how they treated God, how they treated and responded or didn't respond to His Word, and how, and how they treated God's people. This nation of America will be, will be no different. You realize now, and I know that you do, that there are doctrines right now being espoused in America, doctrines and philosophies that have never worked anywhere else, in fact, have brought tyranny everywhere else. And they're not only anti-America, they're not only anti-democracy, they're anti-God, and they're, they're actually delusional. They're actually delusional. They're anti-truth. They're anti-word of God. And these doctrines that are being pushed and espoused, they don't bring us into unity. They don't bring us into forgiveness. They're dividing us. And ultimately, if, if we have enough people embrace this stuff, they will destroy this nation or at least change it so radically that it won't even look what it has been in the past. The truth is that any doctrine... The value of any doctrine is, is found in what it produces. And I want you to know those doctrines won't produce unity. It won't produce prosperity. It'll produce death and destruction and division. But I tell you what will produce, and that is the doctrines of the Word of God. Do you realize that the Word of God can heal the nation? It can heal the divide. It can mend the family. It can usher in the blessing and the mercies of God like we have never even seen before. But what I'm seeing in our own nation is that this nation is clearly, clearly moving through the cycles spoken of in Romans chapter 1. What are those cycles? In Romans 1, they embraced idolatry. And then from idolatry, they, it led to a sexual revolution, which led to a homosexual revolution. And the last stage is to embrace delusion. And in that last stage, in that last final cycle, the culture celebrates the most grave and gross wickedness and they end up persecuting what is righteous and the righteous. And that's clearly what's happening. We hold our, we hold our national freedom dear. But there's another freedom that I want to speak about this morning. And it's, it's a freedom, you know, we hold our national freedoms dear, but there's another freedom that is dear still. And that is our spiritual freedoms found in the Word of God and given to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. They too have come to us at an incredibly high price. In fact, the highest price that will ever be known. And that is the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. And I say, tell you what Peter says through the Spirit. You were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold from your empty way of life. But you were redeemed with what the blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus gave his life. So that we could be redeemed, but also that we could be free. The fundamental values that we hold dear in this nation really are found in the Hebrew Bible. In the Ten Commandments, the, the whole framework of our judicial system is really comes right out of the Ten Commandments and the law that God gave to Moses. Some time ago I saw a quote that said this. It's been stated that democracy will only work... If the hearts of the people are righteous, democracy 
without righteousness will become a disaster. And if we embrace, if we, if we forsake the Word of God and we embrace secular and godless theologies and philosophies, I'm going to tell you, we are embracing destruction. Only the Word of God can lead us to life. Proverbs said this, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Today on this Memorial Day, I want to look in the Word of God at a very special group of people. Now, I know that we're celebrating in our nation tomorrow, we're celebrating those who've given their lives for national freedom. But there's another group of people. There's a group of people that is very, very special to the heart of God because they're mentioned over and over again. They're mentioned from the first part of the Bible all the way to the end. And they're called the martyrs. The martyrs. I don't know if you've ever read the book called Fox's Book of Martyrs, but it talks about all the martyrs. But I want to talk about the martyrs today. And the martyrs are those who have given the last full measure of devotion in serving the Lord. John gets a vision, and we need to get the vision. And in the Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9, look at this on the screen. John said this, he said, When he, the Lamb, opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Revelation 12.10 I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of His Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him, this group. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Literally, they did not shrink back in their devotion. They gave the last full measure of devotion, as the colonel said. Even at death, they didn't renounce Jesus. Even at the threat of the loss of physical life, They did not even shrink back, but they willingly laid down their lives for Jesus Christ, our Lord. The last full measure of devotion. The word martyr comes from the word witness. And in the scripture, the supreme act of witnessing is not just verbally telling someone about Jesus, as wonderful as that is. But the supreme act of witness in the Word of God is someone who lays their life down in devotion to Jesus Christ. It is a witness, and it's where we get the word witness. It comes from martyr. Jesus spoke often about the martyrs. Jesus himself gave his life on the cross. But he spoke about martyrdom, and in fact, the truth is, that all of, his, all of his followers are offered martyrdom, or at least potential martyrdom. This is not some special things that he offers one or two, but every single one of us, he offers this. He said in Mark chapter 8, and he called the people to himself. He called the people, not just, he called the people to him, all the people, not just Peter, James, and John, and the twelve. He calls all of them, and he said, and, and with his disciples, and he said, Whosoever wants to follow me, come after me. 
Let him deny himself, take up the cross, his cross, and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And what would a man give in exchange for his soul? Now you and I may never be called to lay down our life and be martyred for Jesus Christ, but I can tell you that every Christian has to have a martyr spirit and be willing to do so if we're called upon. If we're called upon to take our place in the long line of martyrs. Yeah, the, the, the people of God, there's a long trail of blood that goes behind the people of the Lord. Now, I have serious concerns and serious doubts that the modern church, that most in the modern church will have the courage to lay down their lives in martyrdom. Most Christians can't lay down a bag of tater chips. Majority of people can't find an hour a week to come to a prayer meeting at a church. Many find it, uh, they refuse to even tie the 10% of their income. Many Christians claim Christ, but don't do anything to help forward and move the church forward. How in the world is someone going to lay their life down for Jesus Christ if they're not even disciplined enough to come four Sundays in a row? I have serious doubts that we have discovered or we have the martyr spirit when we can't even do these little things. But there are those in the Word of God who gave the full measure, the last full measure of devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know the Bible speaks of the first martyr? The Bible speaks of the first prophet martyred. The Bible speaks of the first Christian martyr, and the Bible speaks of the first apostle. In fact, the only one mentioned in the Word of God that was martyred, though they were all martyred except one. And the common denominator among all these men is they were righteous. Jesus said we suffer for righteousness. And I'm not so sure. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure that we're about to come into that. If you just stand for the Word of God on any subject of, of marriage or morals and you don't go with the delusion, it's coming. It's coming. Just get in line. It's coming. But you know what? It's an honor. Jesus said, well, you suffer for righteousness sake. Rejoice. 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 Great is your reward in heaven. This world's not our home anymore. We're a light. We're a witness. We've got to get in line. We may be called to give the full measure of devotion to our Lord. I want to look at these these men, and, and I just want to hit the high points, and I just want to show you that they're there. And these men, the four that I referred to, are Abel, a prophet named Zechariah, not the one who wrote the book, Stephen, and James. The first follower of the Lord the first one that was devoted to the Lord, so devoted to the Lord that his life was taken, it's the second person born after the flood, or after the fall, that is. And his name is what? His name is Abel. His name is Abel. He had a brother, and we know his name. His name goes down in infamy, and his name is Cain. Cain. There's a lot said in the Bible about Abel. He's mentioned many times. In fact, Jesus even mentions him, which I'll read in a moment. Hebrews talks about him and compares the, sh the, the martyrdom and the shedding of his blood and compares it. It really contrasts. It's not a comparison. It's a contrast to the shed of blood of Jesus. It says this in the book of Hebrews, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, 
the blood of sprinkling that speaks of better things than the blood of Abel. That speaks of better things. What was the, what was the contrast? Abel's blood cried out for revenge. Jesus' blood calls out for redemption. What do we know about Abel? They're again just hitting the high play. I'll, I'll read part of his story. But what we find it in Genesis 4, second person born after the fall, but the first martyr, the first one that was martyred. He wasn't just murdered, he was murdered because of his commitment to the Lord. That's an important thing. That's an important thing. Now, let's read his story. This is Genesis 4. Now, Adam and Eve, Adam and his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain. And she said, I've acquired a man from the Lord. Then she, uh, she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. Now notice, read this story in your own time. About five or six times it says his brother, his brother, his brother. You'll see it toward the end here. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel brought of the firstborn of the flock and of the fat. Notice the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Not only his offering, because God's not only concerned about the outward things we do, but he's concerned with the heart with which we bring it. Notice he, was, he respected Abel. He respected him. He saw his heart. He saw the way he worshipped. But he also respected his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, you will be accepted. If you do not do well, sin lies at the door. Its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. The Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? There again, this is the fourth time. He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, what do you do? The voice of your brother, your brother's blood cries out from the ground against me. Cain rises up lures his brother, certainly this is premeditated, lures him out into the field and kills, murders. Cain was a murderer. He had murder in his heart. And that's why the Bible says that we've got to be careful with anger because all anger is is the beginning of murder. It's where all murder starts. What do we know about Abel? We know that he was a shepherd. We know that he was a worshiper. The Bible says here that he was a keeper of the sheep. Now, what we know is in Genesis 3.21 that the Lord made tunics for Adam and Eve to cover them. So therefore, there had to be a shepherd. And, and, and so the, in, in the necessary need of a shepherd, Abel becomes a shepherd. Now, what I believe is certainly, now this is inferred, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not explicitly said, but it's inferred. I believe that certainly that the Lord revealed to this family the way to worship him. They believed the way back to him. And they gave him a promise of Messiah would come. And, that, and the bruising of the head and the, 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 the bruising of the heel and the crushing of the head of the serpent. Certainly they were, it was revealed to them, if you want to worship me. See, there had to be shedding of blood if there's tunics. 
There was bloodshed. Certainly they knew more than is indicated in the text. They knew how to worship God. God doesn't hold us accountable for things we don't know about. And and God's a fair God, and God showed them, this is how to worship me. This is how to maintain worship me. Later, there's going to become the sacrificial system, which is all going to point to Jesus. And here is Abel keeping the flock, and, and he's worshiping. Now, here's what I would say to us. There's a right way to worship, and there's a wrong way to worship. Not all worship is on the same level. Even Jesus said in John, the hour is coming when the true worshipers will worship me in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking what? He's seeking worshipers. He's seeking true worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So Abel was a worshiper. He was a true worshiper. He came with the right offering. He came the right way. He came in the right attitude. He had faith. He had righteousness. He was a worshiper. He was a shepherd. We also assume that he was a young man. You know, the young can live for God. I read a troubling statistic that 43% of millennials said they don't want God. Now, uh, uh, whoever was polled, now I'm sure not everyone in the nation was polled, but of this poll, 43%, we don't want God, we don't care about God, we hate God, we want to get rid of God, 43%. But that's not why God created young people. God created young people to worship Him, to love Him. And I thank God that not all the young people have gone the wrong way. There are many, many young people, many of our young people serving God, loving God, living right before God. It says in the book of Timothy, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believer in word and conduct and love and faith and in purity. The the name Abel means breath. The name Abel means breath. And it literally has to do with something temporary. And Abel's life was temporary. It was cut cut short through martyrdom. And, And what I would say to every young person is this. And every one of us, by the way, we need to serve God while we have the chance. We're not promised tomorrow. James said life is like a vapor. It's like a vapor that appears and it's gone very quickly. Uh, Moses or Job said it's like a hand's breadth. It's like a weaver's shuttle that quickly goes across, the, uh, across to, to make the, the loom on the loom. It's quick. We're not promised tomorrow. So we need to redeem the time Because the days are evil. Redeem the time. Don't waste your time. Spend your life in things that are significant. Spend your life in things that are substantive. In things that are eternal. In things that will outlast your life. We know that Abel was a righteous man. I think this is a key to his offering. I think this is a key to why God accepted it. Matthew, Jesus said this. Listen to what Jesus said about Abel. It says... That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood. Now, this is what Jesus said. He should know. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah. We'll talk about him in a moment. Son of Erechiah, whom you murdered, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Hebrews says this. Notice. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, though he obtained witness that he was what? He was righteous, God testifying of his gifts that through it, though he being dead, he still speaks. Listen to me. The only worship that God will accept 
is worship that comes from a transformed heart and an obedient, righteous life. It's, worship is not about just going throughout all of the outward calisthenics. Christianity, if it's nothing or if it's anything, it is a worship from the heart. Jesus said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but who does the will of my Father. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We, we did wonders in your name. What did Jesus say? Jesus declared, I never knew you. Your worship was of no value. Why? Because you practice lawlessness. You are ungodly. You're, you worship You went through the actions of worship. You went through the outward calisthenics of worship. But in your heart, you were lawless. I'm concerned that many in the modern church are trying to worship God with lawless lives. It's kind of antinomianism on steroids. But Abel's worship was from a righteous man, a truly righteous man. Abel was a witness. It said this, Cain talked with Abel, his brother. What do you think they're talking about? I think they're talking about worship. I think Abel is bringing conviction on Cain. I think Abel, and this is my speculation, I think Abel is confronting Cain with his false worship. He is confronting Cain with his sin And it makes Cain angry. Do you know the word of God makes people either happy or mad? It said of Jesus, it said that they hated him because he he told what they were doing was evil. I think it's John 7, 7 says that. Now notice with me. I think when Abel began to confront him about false worship, This is not the way that we were raised to worship Cain. This is not what God has revealed to us. You created your own religion, Cain. God will not honor it. He becomes angry. He confronts him. You know, Cain, when you used to worship, when you used to worship like I do, your life was clean. I mean, you know, true worship will make you clean. False worship will make you let you do anything you want to do. But this worship, he was confronting him. He was confronting Cain with his sin. And Cain becomes angry. He probably said, well, you know what, Abel? You're like those Christians who are narrow-minded. You're like those Christians who are, you know, you're, you're confronting me with my sin. I thought your God was a loving God. You know how they love to twist that around. But yet, Cain was blinded by his sin. Cain was the one that had murder in his heart. No love for his brother. No love for God. No obedience in his life. And notice what it says in John. Not as Cain, who was the wicked one, who murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. This is persecution for righteousness' sake. What we know about Abel is this. He possessed a genuine faith. He possessed a real faith in God that honored God, that that brought obedience into his life, and it says his sacrifice was excellent. Cain's offering is the beginning of false worship in the human race. And I fear that millions today are following the worship of Cain They're worshiping, but it's not a worship that will save. 
It's not a worship that will transform. It's not a worship revealed from heaven. It's Cain worship. It's man-made worship. And Jude said it this way, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. They have gone the way of Cain. The way of Cain is the way of being lost. But the way of the gospel is the way of Jesus Christ. It's the power to save us, redeem us, and transform our lives. True faith leads us into obedience to God's command. And it makes, us, makes our heart full of love and grace. Abel is the first one that was a martyr in the human race. First one to give the full devotion of his life to the Lord. Here's the second one, quickly, and that's Zechariah. This is not the Zechariah who wrote the book, Zechariah. This is another Zechariah. Zechariah is the first prophet in Judah to suffer martyrdom. Jesus spoke of him, as I've already read it, the blood of Abel and the blood, to the blood of Zechariah. Now, the, the story of Zechariah and the kings and everything that surrounded that kind of goes like this. King Joash, Joash owned, owed, owed his very life to one of the greatest men of the Bible. And he was either the father or the grandfather, Zechariah. It was his grandfather or father. This man I'm talking about, his name is Jehoiada the priest. He lived 130 years and he was so great, even though he was a priest, he was buried with the honors of a king. What did he do? He preserved Joash's life from his wicked grandmother, Athaliah, by hiding him in the temple for years and years and years. Athaliah had killed all the other grandchildren and all the other kids that were in the, th- in the line for the throne. But Jehoiada, the priest, took this young man, Joash, hid him in the temple for five or six, seven years. And then one day, when he was seven, the king, Joash, the priest, Jehoiada, presented him to the nation and had Athaliah, his grandmother, killed. Here's here's what we know, that King Joash did well as long as Jehoiada, the priest, was alive. His spirit. The, the priest's spiritual influence over this king was enormous. He even chose, his, chose the wife that he was to marry. He thought, like, you're not wearing another woman like that grandmother you had. But under his, under his leadership, with Jehoiada, the priest, influencing him, worship was restored, the temple was restored, the nation prospered, but something happened. And what's that? After Jehoiada, the priest died, the king began to drift spiritually. The king began to listen to the wrong advice and the wrong counselors. And what happened is, after Jehoiada, the godly priest, died, the king began to set up idols, began to worship idols. The nation began to drift into sin. God sent prophets to speak to the king, many prophets to speak to the king. We're going to get a sample of one. To turn them back to the Lord. But they refused. And finally, the nation was defeated. And you know what happened in the end? Joash, the king, died in dishonor. Here's what happened because of time. This godly prophet named Zechariah. Now we don't know if he's, if Jehoda, Jehoda the priest is his grandfather or his father. Many times they'll say father, but it means grandfather. Zacharias stood up on the temple steps 
And he confronted the king. He confronted the ungodly spiritual leaders. And notice, here's what it says. This is 2 Chronicles 24, 20. The Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son, maybe the grandson, of Jehoiada the priest, who stood above the people and said to them, he's standing, he, he elevates himself so everyone can hear him. He's standing on the temple steps. Here's the temple looking out. The altar, burnt offering, where they offered up as a type of the cross was right there. And the people had gathered, and he speaks as the Spirit of God comes on him. Thus says God, thus says God, why do you transgress the commands of the Lord so you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. Instead of repenting, instead of saying we have committed sin, here's what they did. So they conspired against him. And at the command of the king, King Joash, that this man's father or grandfather saved him in the temple for years and years and years. And here is his son or grandson. Instead of being grateful for what God did through this great priest, it says, at the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. So Joash, the king, did not remember the kindness of Jehoda. Jehoda, his father, had done to him, but killed his son. As he died, the prophet said, the Lord look to it and repay. You can't win and sin. And here is Zechariah, the prophet. Until his dying breath, he's saying, I will not compromise what God has said. Your sin will find you out if you don't repent. And as I said, Joash the king, they didn't even bury him with the kings. He was so dishonored. Zechariah was the first prophet to be martyred in Judah. He maintained loyalty to God. He stood against spiritual rebellion of the king and the people. What an incredible, what an incredible man. Hallelujah. The last full measure of devotion. Time fails me to get to Stephen and to James, the brother of John, the one's gospel that we're, we're sharing. But John in the vision says, I saw the fifth seal open and I saw those who'd been killed for the word of God. It's the last full measure of devotion. Have you ever wondered in your own heart? You know, we, we boast of things that we, we should not boast about. Well, I would do this and I would do that. We would hope we would. We would hope we would. So on this Lord's Day, Memorial Weekend, I think we look on the inside of our hearts. We consider those who've laid down their lives, face bullets for our nation, storming beaches like Normandy and Omaha Beach, young men in, in ships and in tanks, fighting back Nazi demonic ideology. 
But you know, we're good soldiers too, are we not? And, and, and this, this is a time that we have to understand the cost to be a real Christian. It's the cost of a martyr spirit. So as we look inside today, do you have that martyr spirit? There again, I'm very concerned about, we've lost in a sense primitive Christianity, real Christianity. I pray that we would be like Abel and like Zechariah the prophet. And like Stephen, the young man who was just an incredible specimen of spiritual dedication. Or like James, and we don't even know. We don't even know. We just, it says he was killed by Herod's sword, head cut off. We're going to meet these people one day. So... On this memorial day, I just say this to you in conclusion, that we have a church to build. And it, it, it won't be built unless we want it to be built. Now, God's already decreed. He wants it to be built. But people have to, you and I, I say people, us, we have to sacrifice. We have to give sacrificially, pray sacrificially, show it when we don't want to, do the hard work. Amen. We're going to see a church built because, because lives depend on it. Because lives depend on Now think about it. Think about it today. What happened if those young men hadn't got off to war and fought those devils back of Nazism and you know, Japan at the time? And What if they hadn't fought that back? What if they didn't pay the price? We'd, it'd be very different today. So what's going to happen if we don't fight spiritually? What's going to happen to lost people in this city? What's going to happen to some of our own boys and girls? What's going to happen to people that God has ordained that they live in freedom and be saved? And we won't have anyone to blame but ourselves. So I ask you today, in the sober, soberness, do we have what it takes to build this church? To not serve in what, uh, what old David Workerson preached the sermon, the gospel of accommodation. You want to hear a sermon? You want to hear a sermon? Go online and, and, and type in David Workerson, the gospel of accommodation. It'll make you, if it doesn't make you get on your knees, you're probably not even saved. It's, it'll, it'll shake you to your core. The last full measure of devotion. I want you to stand with me. If somebody could come here. Hallelujah, Jesus. Now, I'm not going to have you come around the altar. But right there where you are, you to think about your relationship with Jesus. I want you to think about your life for a moment. I want you to look at your heart. Your heart is the altar. Your heart is the altar. I just wonder, where are those with the martyr spirit today? Who are those who are so committed, they're willing to speak the word of God in the face of this wicked ideology, this critical race nonsense and all socialism where are the courageous people of the Lord where are the real Christians today that they have a martyr spirit see Christianity I told my wife this on the way here 
Christianity's about living and dying. <laughs> Christianity is about dying in one sense. We have to die to selfishness. We have to die to this world. We have to die to sin. We have to die. We have to mortify those things. And that's a battle you'll always fight against yourself. It's a death. Jesus said, I give you the cross. I offer you the cross. But in your death, you find life. In, in your death, you find joy. You find true happiness and fulfillment. You find why you were created. Because when we die, we live. I don't know what you need to surrender to God today. But right there where you are, maybe you just want to lift your hands and just search your own heart. Lord, search us today. Search our spirits today. Search our hearts today. Get out all the sin, all the compromise, all the worldliness. Get out, get out of us, Lord, the delusional thinking of the world that is crept in churches. And Lord, help us to understand that at any war to ever be won, there has to be people that die. In any spiritual victories, there has to be death at some level, whether it's just dying to some habit. Lord, we thank you that you've given us the grace that we need to build this church. Can we just lift our hands and worship you? Come on. As you're surrendering your spirit and your heart to God. Come on. Hallelujah. 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 Just fall in love with Jesus again. Just fall in love with Jesus again. Just be consumed. Let him consume you. Let him fill you with his mercies. We glorify your great name. Hallelujah. This is how real Christianity has always been. This message might have sounded strange to you, but because it's kind of strange because the church has changed. This is how the church has always been. From the first convert, real churches, this is how it's really been. Can you imagine? You know, we read this, we read it, we read about this stuff in like Fox's Book of Martyrs, or we read it in the Word of God, but we read it like we do The Wizard of Oz, or we read it like we do Winnie the Pooh or some kind of fairy tale. This is how Christians live. They laid down their lives. Think about it. They were stoned. Their heads were cut off. Some of them were burned. They were abused. They, they believe Isaiah was wrapped in skin and sawn in two by Manasseh. They were chased. They had no home. All because of their commitment to Jesus. Can you imagine being there? Uh, the Bishop Polycarp 
That was his name, Bishop Polycarp. He was about 84 years old. And there was a persecution that had arisen against the church. And the people, after a while, the people began, let's get Polycarp, the chant, the secular worldly, ungodly people, lost. Let's get Polycarp. You know, he was the bishop. Let's get Polycarp. And they came and took him. He was old. He was 84, 85 years old. And they basically said to him, old man, you, all, you know, you're, you're too old for this. You know, we don't, we don't really even want to do this. You're too old. You know, if you just renounce Jesus, you can go home. You can go home and relax if you renounce Jesus. And the bishop said, 80 and 4 years. My Lord and my Savior has done me nothing but good. How could I forsake him now? And they burned that old man at the stake. Burned him at the stake. You're going to meet him. I'm going to meet him one day. And oh my, I sure don't want to be the type of Christians that we can't even give up a whatever. And they gave their lives. Think about it. As you leave, the, the last full measure of devotion. And I pray the day as we leave this place that's, that your roots have gone deeper in Jesus. That something in you has strengthened. Something, something in you has put on that martyr spirit. And you realize this world is not my home anymore. If I lose everything and have Jesus, I'm a winner. And that we're going to build a church we're going to build a real church. We're not going to build one of these silly, thimbleful of theology. We're going to build a church of warriors that really love God and really love each other. And if we suffer, so be it. I mean, in Canada right now, they're arresting these pastors. Have you ever heard that? They're arresting these guys. Oh, yeah, two or three of these pastors have been arrested because they're worshiping and they, they have like restrictions still up there. They came in one church and arrested the pastor during the service. They arrested another pastor. I saw the video heading to church. Stopped him and arrested him. Another pastor this, this week they arrested because he, he, they locked his church. So he said, I'll just have to worship outside. Worshiping God outside arrested him. They're finding these guys. Get in line. Our time may come. Are you ready? I pray you are. Or you may not be right. You may just go to one of these churches where you can do all that stuff and still say you're a Christian. But it's not real Christianity. Yeah. That's a hybrid. That's a false. Real Christianity and real following the Lord is what Abel did and what the prophet did and what Stephen did and what the apostle James did. Refused to bow. Refused to deny Christ. Refused to deny his word. Think about it. I told my wife, I'll close. I will close one day. I'm closing. I'm closing right now. I told my wife, well, I said this, uh, as I was meditating on this message and just, you know, I just sat at my computer and the Lord began to speak to my heart. I told my wife on the way here, I said, you ever notice when you like get a new car, like a white car, a new white car, you see it everywhere? You ever notice that? I began to look at martyrdom and I began to realize, i Go in the Word of God. It, it is from cover to cover full. It is full of people that have given their lives for Jesus. And then I realize He offers all of us martyrdom. 
Yeah, you want your best life now? It's martyrdom. That's it. He said, here's a cross. Now, we think a cross, a little, a little piece of jewelry. Oh, no, my friend. That cross was real. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you may die for it. You want to follow me? Here's what, here's what you're in store for. You want to stand for me? Here's, here's the cross. There it is. You can take it or leave it. But to really follow me, there's a cross. And I may never be called to literally do that, but we have to be willing to if we're called upon. Father, today, on this Memorial Weekend, we thank you for those young men who have given their lives for our national American freedom. We're grateful for them. We do not want to forget them. But also, we do not want to forget those who have laid down their lives for this church, for your kingdom. They stood and spoke. They stood and lived right and did right against the powers and the forces of the day. And now, Lord, great reward is theirs in heaven. Because, Lord, as one man said, you can't lose. You can't lose something that the enemy cannot take away. So, Lord, today I pray a blessing on every person here, every person watching. I pray that you would deepen our spirits and our commitment to Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that there would be such a a martyr spirit that would come upon us. That, Lord, that we literally, we die daily. We die to this world. We die to self, selfishness and sin. And we want to live for Christ. And we want our church to see it. We want our church to feel the love and the unselfishness. Because we may die to this world, but we live to Jesus. Live in us, Jesus. Lift your hands. Say, live in us, Jesus. Come on, live in us, Jesus. Live in us, oh God. Live in us, we pray. And for this, we ask in that wonderful name of Jesus, our Lord. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for being patient with me today, church. God bless you as you're dismissed. Have a great Memorial Day on Monday.